We are bringing together imperfect people in pursuit of a whole life. Welcome to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. This week, Pastor AJ shares his message from Identity Inc., Identity Protection. When Jesus returns and finishes his work to restore all creation, and then we we rise again to live in paradise forever, what are the things that will anchor your identity then? What are the things that will, the anchors that will transfer from this life to the next? There's this conundrum that some of the Jewish leaders present to Jesus. They, uh, they tell a story of a woman who had a husband who died, and then she, she remarried, and then that husband died, and then she remarried, and this kept happening. The pattern kept repeating until eventually she passed away at the end of her life after having seven different husbands. And my first thought is, okay, once, twice, three times, how do husbands four through seven, like, not catch on to the pattern here? Like, something's going on. You got to steer clear of that. Am I right? I mean, something funky. But the dilemma that they present to Jesus is this. Whose husband will she be in the afterlife? You know, she's had seven husbands, so whose husband will she be? And Jesus responds with what is, I think, a truly unsettling answer. He says, in heaven, people won't be given in marriage. They will be like the angels. Now, that's far from an exhaustive teaching on what it's going to be like in heaven, but I take that to mean that we probably won't be partnered up in heaven. And that confuses me because I think the, the recreation of the world is going to look a lot like his initial vision of the world where he created everything very good and he has Adam and Eve who, who are set to be man and wife for eternity and their children are to marry and so forth. And, and so I go, why would God's restored vision for the world not link up with that? And not only am I confused by this, I'm also a bit freaked out by it because I've built a beautiful life with Megan and we're, we're one flesh and I love her dearly. And who will I be if that relationship doesn't anchor my identity in the life to come? Oh, but it's far from the only question we have about heaven. We, we could talk about also our profession. What, what will you, your profession, your job be in heaven? The average person will work 12 different jobs in their lifetime. So which one of them will be your job in paradise? You know, we know that God created work before the fall of man, that work is a, a good thing. He thinks it's healthy for us to work in some way or another. And so it'll probably be a part of the recreation. And, and, and so how will that work out for us? Will we get to choose a cool job like astronaut, or, or is there like a matchmaking service, you know? How, how will this work? And, and as I think about this, though, I mean, I don't really know how the job market in heaven will work, but I have a pretty good idea that what you and I do for a living, what we spend most of our waking hours living and breathing day in and day out, that that thing, that job, it probably won't even be needed in heaven. It won't exist in the same way. And then who will you, who will we be? Truth be told, I think for, for many of us, we're really excited. We're glad to know that there's a place, a good place called heaven that we get to go to. But I think we're also scared 
to go to heaven. Because we have a very clear sense that the, the things that matter most to us in this life, that some of those things might not transfer. We, we, that we are not sure what our personal elevator speech is going to be in heaven. What we're going to put on that eternal business card that, de, that defines us. And the fact that that bothers us, that, that tells us that we still have some identity issues to sort out. In fact, throughout this series, we've been digging into some really big questions, uh, you know, questions over the past few weeks, like, should I construct my identity, or, or actually, do I receive it from God? And, and should I view myself as a monster or a saint? Should I flip-flop who I am? Should I tailor who I am to be accepted by some sort of community? Because we all need some sort of group, right? Or is there a community, the church that I already belong to? Or, or this one last week, we talked about like, does God want me to become more of myself or less of myself? And, and we've been exploring these really big issues. And essentially what we've been doing is exploring the pillars that hold up a sense of modern identity, along with their cracks, because they weren't meant to handle such a big load. Uh, you see, our concept of identity, it looks a bit like this. It looks a bit like this house uh, where identity is, is held up and propped up by these really important identifiers in our lives, the, the, these pillars. And they're things like sexuality and gender, race and culture, our personality and values, our, our family and, and social circle. These are really important things. But one thing we have not really impacted yet as we've explored identity is our vocations and, and what role they play vocations are the roles and responsibilities that we steward throughout our, our life. There's many of them, and, and some of them we're born into, like our family. We don't really choose them. You just are uh, a, a son or a daughter or a sibling. And others of them we choose or fall into throughout the course of our life, like our, our job. And, and so there's lots of different roles and responsibilities that fall under this big umbrella term, of vocation. But generally speaking, vocation, it can be, you know, talked about in two main categories as either relationships or profession. You know, relationships like, hey, who am I in relation to others around me? Am I my son, husband, father, brother? And then also my profession. So what do I, what I do for a living, the, the skills, the trade that I employ in order to bless my neighbor and add value to society. And if we could zero in on the second one, on, on profession, I think we have to recognize just how much power our jobs have to define us, that, that they really are a, a titan of our vocational identity. And it's so much so that right throughout our, in our, our common language, what we mean by vocation when we just say that word is it's become synonymous with our job with our employment. What's your vocation? That's what we mean when we ask that. Because from, you know, day one as a, as a small child, we're, we're starting to think about and dream about and imagine, what will I do for a living? What will I become? What will my profession be? We spend a lot of time thinking about this. And, and then as we grow up throughout adolescence, uh, you know, and our, our gifts and interests and natural abilities begin to come out, there are these flashes of what professions we might do. And, and you know, for some of us, like we, we have a hard time dialing in exactly what that thing might be, and especially until much later, maybe even after we've tried out a few 
professions. For others of us, and actually I think for most of us, there are flashes, though, of our natural aptitude and the things that we, we might do for a living down the road. And maybe you can even think of a time in your journey when someone affirmed that natural giftedness that they saw in you, and they, they said, oh, you were really good at that thing, so maybe you should, you should consider doing X, Y, Z for a living. Or, man, you're a born this or that, you should think about a career that utilizes that skill set. And, and, you know, these affirmations, they're really great, they, they feel really good, and they are, and they also cause us to reflect and, and to examine ourselves and go, is this who I was meant to be? Is that the thing that will define me? Uh, in this next clip that we're going to show from the, the NBC comedy community, um, our friend Troy has a unique skill set, unique giftedness that's recognized uh, in hilarious fashion. And um, he's presented with a destiny for his life to grapple with. Let's take a look. Done. <laughs> Mr. Barnes, walk with me. Mr. Barnes, air conditioning repairs an elite worldwide family dating back to the very beginnings of civilizations. Our predecessors were slaves, fanning the pharaohs with palm fronds. Over time, we became expert at making our superiors comfortable. We made it our business. And along the way, we learned to make ourselves comfortable. No more palm fronds, Troy. Now we are the pharaohs. Breath print approved. Feel that? Actually, I don't feel... Precisely. Have you heard the expression room temperature? Of course. This is the room. This is the room temperature room. <laughs> I can't tell where the air ends and my skin begins. It's incredible. That's what we do, Troy. Incredible, invisible, unbelievable things. We're an unseen, unknown, invincible fraternity of craftsmen. Graduates of this school are guaranteed lucrative employment for their entire lives. And I'm inviting you join us. Will there always be paninis? There is one catch, Troy. Once you're in, you're in. Air conditioning repair will be your life. A life of secrets you'll be unable to share with outsiders. You will be an air conditioning repairman and nothing else until the day you die. Now, obviously, John Goodman deserves an Oscar for this role. I think it's probably his best role. Um, whatever accolades we can throw at him. Uh, but as Troy grapples with a, a sense of vocational destiny, it, it makes me wonder. Um, we, we've, heard of, we've all heard of the soulmates concept. Uh, is there, are there soul vocations? Is there, is there a profession that for each of us represents the ultimate expression of our personality and gifts? And... and and our job is just to find that in, and to embrace it and live in it. Is there a profession that completes my sense of identity and gives me the most aligned, most integrated sense of self that I possibly can have? 
if there ever was a man with a vocational destiny, it was Jesus. I mean, we know him by his deeds, right? He's the savior of the world. Talk about a vocation. But before he performed a single miraculous act, before he, he preached all over Judea and Galilee, before Jesus died for us and rose again from the dead in order to usher people into new life, before any of that, it began with a, a first thing, a thing that all four Gospels record, a thing that, especially in the Gospel of Mark, uh, you know, happens essentially first. In Mark, you don't have this long birth narrative or, or you know, this um, genealogy to give us a, a strong sense of destiny. You essentially have this thing that happens before all of it. And so let's check this out. This is Mark 1, 9 through 11. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, my love. With you, I am well pleased. So before the ministry of Jesus begins, he is baptized. The text here in Mark 1 says he came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And if you're unfamiliar with baptism, baptism is a ritual in Judaism in which converts to Judaism would receive this ceremonial bath as a, a symbol of leaving behind their former religion and ways and instead being cleansed to follow now after, after Yahweh, the God of Scripture. And if that's actually not quite baptism as you understand it, uh, particularly as you've been taught it, then, then you're right, you're on to something here that in a Christian, in the tradi Christian tradition, baptism actually is even more amazing than that. God takes baptism and he builds something more into it. It's not just a symbol any longer. Baptism, because of what God does, becomes a means of grace, a way that we receive the grace and mercy and favor of God. Now, the means of grace that we've identified are God's word and also the sacraments, uh, those visible, tangible things that God gives us where he unites his word with a physical element and a promise in order that we might receive his grace in a very tangible way through baptism or the Lord's Supper. And in baptism in particular, what we see that's going on here, baptism is the entrance right that starts the journey of faith, that brings you into the Christian church. And what's going on there is in baptism, God is placing his favor upon us and he is, he is adopting us as his own child and he is cleansing us from all of our sins. It's this amazing thing. But doesn't it make you ask the question like, okay, so why does Jesus need to be baptized? I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh and, and, and so he's already one with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He doesn't have to be adopted. 
And he has never done anything wrong, so he doesn't need to, to repent. He's sinless, so he doesn't need to be cleansed. And so when you look at baptism transactionally, there's really actually no reason for Jesus to be baptized. And so we go, okay, what else is going on here? Like, is there something else here? Maybe Jesus is doing it in some way for us. Maybe he is sort of role-playing here. He's play-acting because we're supposed to get something out of it. And certainly, yes, like we can, we can understand that Jesus, he's 100% God, but he's also 100% human. He's commanding all humans to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so by being baptized, he's leading the way. He's setting the example for all humans to follow after him, much in the same way that he goes first at the cross, that he he dies and rises again in order that we might follow him to eternal life. And so in this way, yes, we can say Jesus is role modeling for all of us. But if that's all we're getting out of this passage, if that's the, the only thing we're saying that is at work here, we're still missing something really important. We're still missing an important message that this passage gives us about identity. I mean, just think about the words spoken over Jesus at his baptism. By God, the heavens open up and we hear, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. It's a declaration of the identity of Jesus in spectacular fashion, right? Like the sky opens up and this voice is heard and Everyone who was there would have understood it to be the God the Father affirming and confirming who Jesus is. His identity as the child, the son of God. They would have heard God saying, this is my man for you to believe in. And for all of us, as we, as we read these words, God wants us to hear and, and to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the Son of God, and by believing to have life in his name. God wants us to know that everything Jesus will do from this point forward is based first and foremost in his identity, his foundational identity as the son of God. And everything he will do stems from that and out of that. And it's for us to know, it's important that we know this, right? That Jesus is the one we should be going to. And there's also a sense that maybe this was even in some way, a reminder that Jesus himself benefited from. You know, maybe not, I mean, Jesus knows who he is, so it's not that he didn't know who he was and he needed to be told, but perhaps it was comforting and centering to him to hear these words, just as as his frequent prayer time with God throughout his ministry gave him some benefit. Perhaps it was an affirmation that in some way gave him strength for his vocation ahead or, or Perhaps that's us projecting on him human needs and it doesn't fit. I I don't know. But what I can say for sure is this, that the ministry, the work, the vocation of Jesus are preceded by a clear and important baptismal declaration of his identity. See, God knows something that we often forget, that identity is the foundation for vocation. You see, the way we we often look at it here, we put identity as this thing that's held up by all of these pillars in our life, that's held up by our vocation, that it's fleshed out by our vocation. It depends on it, but it's too much weight for the pillar to carry that there starts to be cracks and fatigue and it can't handle all of that pressure. Identity is the foundational piece 
that vocation and all the other stuff that we've been talking about in this series that is meant to be built upon. Identity is the solid rock that the most important parts of our life find their footing on. And it doesn't work well the other way around. You know, Jesus, his, his identity could never have been defined by his vocation as Savior because before he was our Savior, he simply was. And for us, when we get the flow reversed, when we pursue a vision of a vocational destiny to flesh out our sense of self, then our identity gets hacked. It gets stolen, incorporated even. And it leaves us vulnerable. It leaves us with a sense that our identity is poised to to collapse in whenever our vocation changes. We spend so much time in our lives like thinking, this is who I am. This is my vocation. This is what defines me. This is what makes me me. This is just what I do. And, and then our career, we, we have a career change or, you know, we're laid off or, or we, we go through another vocational change and then suddenly we're not needed in the same way and, and our relationships with the people change and when we're no longer defined by we do them, then we end up set adrift. And we're closer to this than, than we think we are. For, for many of us in this room, maybe even most, we are like one retirement, one career change, one divorce, one decision to become a stay-at-home mom. We are, we are one vocational hiccup, change, whatever, away from going who am I now? I don't even know. And, and that's the question, is how much of you do you think is, is tied up in your vocation? How much of you is, is twisted in and indistinguishable from it? You know, I, I, for me, I worry that the answer to that question is actually a lot. Um, I think for most pastors, myself included, we're among the worst at letting our identities um, get, get caught up in vocation and hacked by vocation. You know, when you have a, a sense that what you do is a divine calling, your identity gets all sorts of mixed up in, in the work. Your self-image and your relationship with God become tied in with the job, and, and they get fused together and confused. And, and when who you are becomes what you do, then the cracks start to appear. The fatigue cracks and the crumbling starts to happen. And for me, they always show up as fear. You know, I always get insecure whenever, you know, I, I have any sort of failure as a pastor or, or even might fail. Because if I'm not a pastor, if, I'm, if this isn't my destiny, if it's not how he's meant to make the world a a better place, if I'm not a pastor through and through, no doubts, never quitting, like full stop, then then I worry about who I would even be. And and in fact, it, it feels wrong to imagine being anything else. And maybe to you, you have a sense that's similar, that a sense of being rattled at the thought of not doing what you have done. You know, maybe, maybe you have a sense of calling for that vocation. Maybe you even have a sense that God led you to it. Or, or maybe you've just been doing it for so long that it, that it would just feel wrong 
or it would, it would feel like you're adrift to do anything else. And, and yet, we know that surely we must be more than what we do. And I, I think I'm coming to a better understanding of this. I'm growing into it. And yet, it seems impossible not to fall into the trap. It, it, it seems like, hey, you know, when we spend the first quarter of our lives thinking about what we're going to do, training for that thing, and then eventually we make our bed in, in that thing, uh, we, we orient most of our waking hours around it, our habits and routines and schedules are, are built around our vocational selves. And, and when that's the case, you tell me how we're supposed to keep this stuff straight. You know, we're, we're creatures of habit. And even if you, you don't love your job, I think you have to admit just how much of your life revolves around it and how much it defines you. Of course, there's going to be this tendency to put too much of our identity in vocation when we've just made it our habit to do so. We've reinforced it our whole lives. And so it's inevitable we get this wrong before we get it right, if we ever do. Which is why the words of Jesus at the baptism of Jesus are so important for us. The words of God. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. You see, these words aren't just for Jesus, they're for us. The baptism of Jesus is his, but it's also the first Christian baptism. It's him going first. It's him inaugurating baptism for you and for me. And in our own baptisms, these are the words that God speaks over us. This is what we hear through water and the word. God declaring over us, you are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. These words are for all the children of God to receive. And just think about what each of these statements say, what they, what they tell us. God, God says first and foremost, right, that you are my child. You're, you are part of the family of God. He has chosen you, adopted you, decided that he wants to be in relationship with you forever. And if we are his child, that makes him our Father who cares for us better than we even can care for ourselves. And not only are we just in the family of God, but we're a beloved member of his family, right? He, he loves us. He's passionate about us. He cares for us. His heart and full favor and disposition toward us is, is good. And he will give up. There's nothing he won't give up in order that we might thrive. He cares about us that deeply. And he, he's pleased with us. He delights in us. He looks at us, and through Jesus, he doesn't see us for our sins, but he just sees the redeemed child that he delights in. He sees something good and amazing and beautiful. That's amazing. We, we, at Pathfinder, we have this cool infant at work program for um, six months and below. And so right now we, we have a baby in the office and um, it's just, it's an amazing delight. Uh, you know, when the baby is around, we could be doing, doing something serious or highly technical, uh, but we just lose our minds. <laughs> you know, the baby comes in, you're like, hi, you know, and, and you can't help but just want to engage and, and to to smile at her and to hopefully get a smile in return and then brag about that smile to all the rest of your coworkers. And, and she's a joy. And how much more does our heavenly father take joy and delight 
in us. You are my child whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. This is our identity protection that God speaks over us. These are the words that shield our identity. These are the words that help us to stay firmly standing on the foundation. And I want us to say these words together just to let them sink in. Would you say these with me? I am God's child. I am loved by God. He is pleased with me. And one more time, let him, let him soak in, slower this time. I am God's child. I am loved by God. He is pleased with me. Those are amazing words. And they're ours just to receive and just to believe. And when we do, God makes us a big promise. He says this later on in Matthew. Uh, he says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice in mind and in heart and action is a wise man who built his house on the rock, on the foundation. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. You see, in life, the storms are going to come, the winds are going to blow, the, the waves are going to crash in, and our vocation is going to take attacks from all sides. Our, our, our identity is going to take attack on all sides. And it's going to happen usually not as a, as a hurricane, but actually more as a subtle Erosion is something that we often overlook, but something that, that can chew off pieces of our identity little by little without us noticing. And before long, it owns us. These are the attacks that vocation makes on our identity. And if we can just make it our habit to come back to the foundational identity that God has declared over us, if we can somehow find a way to grab a hold of these words and to not let them go, to be reminded of them routinely, then we can stand on the foundation that leads to a rich and a meaningful and a whole life. So however you have to, have to do it, I mean, everyone is, is different, but maybe it's through continuing to be in worship as we are today, or, or it's through your action team or maybe through a, a, a daily ritual of prayer or getting in, into scripture or through volunteering in this place. Like that's a, that's a really big identity centering thing or, or whatever it has to be. I don't know. You do you, but somehow if we can keep coming back to this statement of God over us that he has declared, if we can keep believing it, keep trusting in those words, if we can keep just clinging to what God has spoken, then we can find wholeness of life and stability in the midst of whatever is going on, whatever's pushing against our vocations, whatever vocational change we might encounter. There's a quote by Mike Rowe that I've always really loved. This is the, the dirty jobs guy. And he says this, he says, never follow your passion, but always bring it with you. And, and I just think that's really profound. And I think he gets it. I think he gets this. And what he means by this is like, hey, don't, don't use your vocation in order to find your sense of identity or destiny. But instead, take your identity, take your destiny with you into your 
vocation. Get the flow right, because only then when we get the flow right, identity leading to vocation, only then can we truly honor the vocations that God has given us. Because when we're looking to our relationships or to our jobs in order to make us whole and give us a sense of self, we are always in some way then going to be using them to meet our own emotional needs. Our motives for engaging in those vocations will be turned inward. They'll be about serving these needs that we have for ourselves. But when we bring our identity to bear on our vocations, only then can we truly steward them. To steward something is to care for it on behalf of another, to care for something that is not yours, that is actually God's and is given to you for a season, for a time to take care of. And when we can steward our vocations and recognize they're good, celebrate them, they're important and thank God for them. But to do that at the same time while holding them, them loosely, knowing that they belong to him, that they don't belong to us, they, they don't define us at our foundational level. And when we can, in a sense, let them go, it's only then that we can truly honor them. Only then that we can truly do right by the vocations that have been entrusted to our care. You see, to be a caring parent, spouse, coworker, or employee, it, it starts, it begins with recognizing that you are a child of God, beloved and delighted in by your heavenly father. And when we first hear that in life, that sounds really good. And at some point or another, we, we, that sounds trite. We've heard that before. But I'm at the point in my life where I'm coming back to it and going like, that, that is the thing. That's where it's all at, is being a child of God that is loved and delighted in by my Father. And, and you know what? My vocations, your vocations, they, they matter. God wants to use them to bless your family and, and your neighbors and, and our society and coworkers but will only ever truly be happy, whole, and secure. And your vocations will only ever be stewarded faithfully when we can free ourselves from identity, Inc. And to do so by embracing that which will always transfer, no matter what we do on earth or in the life to come. We pray. God, we... Uh, we thank you in this place for your word, for this passage about the baptism of Jesus, Lord. We thank you that in this we hear an important truth that you have always been our father. You have always loved us and cared for us and acted in our best interest. God, in this passage, we learn to come back to the identity that you have declared over us, to not build it or put it in other people or things or feel like we need to change, to not feel like I just need to let my vocation be my destiny or define who I am, but instead to, Lord, what, let what you have done, to let you, your very self, define us, to embrace the peace and the security and stability that comes from leaning in to who we are as your children. God, we, we thank you. We pray, Lord, that 
through your Holy Spirit, you would guide us to the habits and routines and reminders that we need to keep us firmly standing on the rock that is Jesus. Lord, teach us how to keep coming back to your words so that no matter what pillars fall or get replaced, Lord, we can know who we are. It's rooted in who you are. And Lord, we can know that that is the thing that transfers. That is the thing it's all based on. That is the thing that we will always draw comfort and identity from in this life and the next. In Jesus' name, we all pray. Thanks for listening to the Pathfinder Church Message Podcast. If you would like to hear more messages like this, hit the subscribe button. You can also find more resources at our website, pathfinderstl.org.